The following program deals with military and veteran issues. All comments and opinions expressed on this show are those who made them. They do not reflect the opinions of the Church of Satan or Radio Free Satan. So on with the show. Infernal Legion podcast for the month of March, year 57, Anno Satanus, and we have a very special Wicked Warrior of the Month episode where we're going to we're gonna talk to two different people. They are a couple. One is a veteran, one is not, but they are both parents of veterans, and we're going to give a new perspective on, on what the, the veteran experience is like. And I think it's going to be an amazing time. So stick around for that. We have Dane and Mara Namoon on the show later on. But before we get to get, I am your host, Warlock Jeff Bowling, commander of the Infernal Legion. And with me, as always, is my lovable co-host, Warlock Dwayne Burns, the VSO of the Infernal Legion. Dwayne, how the hell are you, my friend? I am fucking just, I'm, I'm doing great. <laughs> you know me it's either uh or it's i'm fucking great <laughs> and it's a little bit of both tonight i think i think it's a little bit of both <laughs> <laughs> uh anything new now now we we talked uh last episode we talked about how you and your whole family just come down from covid is everything going all right with that um for the most part um Alyssa has a, uh, she's got a couple um, underlying things wrong with her. She's She's got uh, asthma, mm-hmm. and, she's all, and she also has Hashimoto's disease. Right, right. And both of those are playing against her with the recovery of it. Um, she... I mean, she she's not symptomatic anymore. She can't she can't uh, you know spread uh, any uh, infection or anything. But she still doesn't have a voice. She's still coughing her head off at night. She says she thinks she broke a couple ribs coughing because she's been coughing so much, and she just she can't fucking get rid of it. But other than that, um, kids are doing good. Trevor's kicking ass at work. He's an assistant manager now. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear, man. I hope everything works out with uh, her her and and then, you know, eventually cool down. Yeah. Um, Of course, with both of us is our man behind the curtain, the Wizard of Oz himself, Warlock Jeff Ivins the communications officer for the Infernal Legion. Jeff, how the hell are you, man? I'm doing very well. (laughs) And he sounds like... Stoic, as always. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's not the Wizard of Oz. That's the Cowardly Lion. Uh, (laughs) No, that's you. That's you, Dwayne. No, I'm far from that. No, you got all all the main for the the Cowardly Lion. The talking, the the whatever else, the outgoingness. I'm a little lion. <laughs> well, I'm I'm the producer of the podcast. Come on, you know it's. Eh. 
<laughs> Speaking of the podcast, we have to give a shout out to our sponsors because without them, this would not be possible. Even though they really don't pay us anything. Uh, <laughs> first and foremost, we want to mention the Warlock Emporium. Bespoke items for the chosen few. The Warlock Emporium is the only site licensed to sell the official uh, Warlock logo designed by Magister Dr. I fucked this up on <laughs> There you go. <laughs> um, they are offering a 10% military discount. If you go to their site, the warlockemporium.com, you'll you'll have the uh, information to go there. You can get awesome uh, rings and coffee mugs and shirts and all kinds of stuff. And like I said, there's a 10% military discount. Make sure to check out the Warlock Emporium. And also, while you're checking things out, pick up We Are Satanists by Blanche Barton, Magistra Templi Rex, and honorary member of the Infernal Legion. Blanche Barton has finally, finally, after years written, the long-expected follow-up to The Church of Satan, released in the early 90s, uh, and it is massive. It is a massive book. You could probably knock somebody out with this book. Yeah, yeah you can. <laughs> there is so much information in here. She covers everything she covered in The Church of Satan and what was happening in The Church of Satan at the time with Anton LaVey. And after his death to, to Peking Adramia and Peter Gilmore taking over, um, and, and to what members are doing to this very day. And, of course, she gives a shout-out to the Infernal Legion. So thank you very much for that, Magister Barton. And make sure you read We Are Satanists. And, of course, while you're reading books, while you're reading books, you have to check out Underworld Amusements. Underworld Amusements is your source for... Curious Sundries and Callous Broadsides. Kevin I. Slaughter and his team have been working diligently around the clock since 2007 to archive and uh, pull out of obscurity these writings by, by authors who have influenced people like Anton and who have changed the way that, that individualism, egoism, Satanism, and anarchism is thought about. There is so much material at Underworld Amusements, you have to check it out. But the best way to check it out is to join My Book Cult. My Book Cult will get you four quarterly, though not actually on the quarter, mailings uh, of several books and, and various ephemera uh, and so much other cool stuff. So check out UnderworldAmusements.com. And of course, no, wait. I think that's everyone. No. No. That's not, that's no, not no, everyone? No. 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 Who am I forgetting? Who do you think? Who's who's putting... RFS. RFS. Oh, right. Radio Free Satan. <laughs> Without Radio Free Satan, the media arm of the Church of Satan itself, we wouldn't be able to do this podcast. Big shout out to the team who runs Radio Free Satan. If you're listening to us on any other platform, make sure you go to RadioFreeSatan.com and listen to all the fantastic shows that are on there. Halfway through this episode, we're going to have a little commercial break where you can hear a little snippet from each of the shows that are on this uh, this station, including a show, maybe a couple of shows, produced by someone in the room right now, Jeff Ivan. Yes. <laughs> Of course, you got the Metro, which is my main go-to, and then I've got the uh, 
um, the sanitarium. What the hell is that you do? (laughs) Choke your neck. Uh, The sanitarium, which is basically uh, industrial and EBM music. But that comes out twice a year. Mm -hmm. And for the last month or so, well, a little bit prior to this, you you actually picked up the... uh, uh, I was in the Metal Grotto for DJ Hill. Yeah, so I was yeah. doing it. I was doing that for him because his computer went tits up on him. So right. uh, I originally that was my show. That was something I created and gave hit gave it to him so he could do something uh, and spend some of his time and his music and people can enjoy it. Fantastic! There's so many cool shows to check out on Radio Free Satan. Make sure you do so. Uh, before we jump into the interview, this is a long interview, and I want to give it the time that it's due, and I don't want to bore anybody, but last episode, we, we mentioned that the tensions were rising between Ukraine and uh, uh, Russia. As everyone who pays attention to the news knows, Russia did invade Ukraine a few days ago. Uh, we are going to do an episode uh, discussing what's happening over and over again. There's a lot of misinformation coming out. There's a lot of propaganda flying about, as there always is. Um, there's also a lot of, uh, of truly terrifying facts that are occurring over there. And I know that all of us on this podcast, we all have friends in Ukraine and in Russia. So uh, it's, it's, a, it's a personal thing for a lot of us, and we want to make sure that we do this right. So uh, two weeks from now, make sure you tune back in. We're going to do a whole Ukraine-Russia conflict episode and also discuss the State of the Union address by President Joe Biden um, in which he mentioned uh, veterans and VA like 200 times. <laughs> so, uh, so he didn't know what's happening with that. Um, but in the meantime, uh, Jeff, Dwayne, you guys have anything else before we jump into this amazing interview? I'm ready with, to get uh, Dana into Moore it. And- I'm ready to get into it. These are amazing people, and I think it's going to be a good interview. I got nothing, so. All right, let's do it. All right, stand by. And we'll see you on the flip side. Yep. In 1966, Anton LaVey created the Church of Satan, marking the beginning of the Age of Fire and year one Anno Satanus. In 1969, he published The Satanic Bible, codifying Satanism as a religion, the first time it's been done in human history. In the name of Satan, ruler of the earth, king of hell, come forth from the pit, bestow the blessings of hell upon us, for we are your children, and we invoke thee this night. In 2001, I was appointed High Priest of the Church of Satan. In 2007, I published the Satanic Scriptures, further defining and expanding on Satanic philosophy and greater magic ritual. Hail Satan, full of might! Fifty years, the Church of Satan has stood as the sole organization to define and defend Satanism as a religion. And though pretenders to the infernal throne have come and gone, 
we have stood the test of time and will into the future. Visit churchofsatan.com for more information and read the Satanic Bible and the Satanic Scriptures. Knowledge is the solution for ignorance. Hail Satan! Welcome back to the official Infernal Legion podcast, the Wicked Warrior of the Month episode for March, year 57, Anno Satanus, and we are happy as hell to have Dane and Marin and Moon with us today. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> All right, so I want to kind of jump in here, and we're going to kind of bounce around. I want to talk to, to Dane. I want to talk to you first, because you're, you're an Air Force veteran. Uh, and then we're going to move into the conversation uh, of you guys becoming parents of veterans and how that kind of affects uh, how those different mindsets affect everything. Uh, so, Dane, tell us all about it. You joined the Air Force right out of high school. What made you, what made you go in and what made you choose the Air Force? Well, uh, <clears throat> I wasn't a star student <laughs> in high school. You know, I kind of towed the line a little bit. And, um you know, I was looking at options, things I could do, you know, with a little bit of help from my parents. <laughs> you know, I, you get out of high school, you have to do something. And, um, you know, I, I figured I'd, I lived in Hawaii, a lot of military bases there. I knew a lot of military dependents, and um, it just felt like the natural thing to do. So I went into the Air Force and... Um, didn't really look back, you know? Um, right. Hawaii. I love that place. Right. Now, were you living in Hawaii because you were a dependent at the time, or was it just where you happened to be from? No. Um, my uh, my stepdad was in the Army stationed in Hawaii long before I was around. He, um, gotcha. he, he decided one day uh, to move all of us to Hawaii and, that's where we went, and we were completely civilian. Nice. So he did his time in Scofield <laughs> and fell in love with it. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I lived there through through school, uh, graduated high school in, in Mililani, and um, cool. yeah, it's a uh, you know, but life is life, no matter where you're at. You know, we still right. went to school and worked, and I probably went to the beach a lot less than you would think. And, <laughs> yeah, you got to you got to tell him, Dave, to stay away from Iowa. Yeah, <laughs> Wall is right up the road uh, from from. I know exactly where it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so you're graduating high school, mm-hmm. just barely. It sounds like. Yep. <laughs> Everybody and, was uh, surprised. You know, let's put it that yeah, way. Right. <laughs> My mom didn't believe it was actually happening until she saw me walk across the stage. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you're, you're looking at the military. Why, why did the Air Force jump at you? Like, why, why didn't you go Marines or Army or Navy? Uh, I don't know. Um, you know, I wasn't <laughs> doing very well in school, but, you know, they, they always uh, – I had always heard that, that the Air Force uh, gravitated um, or in, intellect was associated with the Air Force, you know, working yeah. on electronics, doing um, – that kind of stuff, and uh, as terrible as I was in school, you know, I, I, I was no dummy, you know. I, I was going to say you couldn't have been that bad if you got in the Air Force. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I scored pretty well, you know, to get in. So I mean, right. I, um, 
that that's really what I wanted to do. You know, I wanted to, I figured I'd be better off in that environment than, you know, physical fitness. I, I was one of those, um, Guys that got picked last in PE class too, so you know. Gotcha. <laughs> go for the Marines. Well, the Air know. Force is the perfect solution. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I mean, that's the best way to explain it. You know, right. By- oh, that's cool. Um, all right, so so you joined up. Uh, did you pick your? Uh, I don't even know what they called it back then. Your your job? Did you pick your job before you MOS, went to? Yeah, uh, we, I um, no, I really didn't pick it. They they. Okay. Pretty much. So you just got you went through maps and shipped off to to uh, basic training. Yeah. Let's uh, let's start with that. Tell tell us some fun stories about your time at basic training. Oh, the <laughs> first night. Um, you know, meeting up with uh, all the guys I was going to be with through basic training um, at the airport. Um, they were all just a bunch of regular guys, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Nothing really st- uh, stood out about them. You know, we. We got on the bus. We went to San Antonio. Um, uh, got to Blackland um, and it's all history after that. You know, we, you know, we, it's a it's a blur. You know, starting out in basic right. training, your first your first few days, you don't know what what the hell have I done? You know, right? <laughs> you know, I know that um, I know that Air Force basic training. You know, has the reputation for not being as rough as some of the others, and I, I would, I would agree with that. But, you know, coming from high school, coming from home life, and everything else, it doesn't really matter what branch you're in. They, they jerk a knot in your ass, you know, right off the yeah. bat. And yeah, I it's a culture first, shock from from the very uh, first minute. There's, there's, it's different. Complete <laughs> culture shock. And my, um, my drill instructor liked in excess, guns mm. in the sky. Nice. <laughs> and I went to uh, I listened to that the entire time I was in basic training. That's what woke us up at four o'clock in the morning. That's what. <laughs> and, uh, I bet you hate that song now. <laughs> man. Yeah, I kind of do. Um, brings back a lot of memories. Um, I remember trying to sleep that first night and there was a guy that, you know, they would give you this lock. And um, you had to keep the lock on the chain that would be for your dog tags later. You know, you had okay. to keep this lock on this chain um, when you weren't using it. The key wouldn't come out. I'm not saying this right. The key would not come out of the lock if the lock was not locked. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. The drawer the that it belonged to was big on brass locks. Big brass locks. Yeah. And the drawer was on the floor. That is practically okay. right. So the only way to get in there was put your face on the floor practically. <laughs> and... Um, you know, just whatever they could do to degrade you <laughs> right off. <laughs> and there was a guy that dumber than a box of rocks that could not figure this lockout. And the drill instructor and his buddy, they screamed at him for hours that first night while we were trying to sleep. You know, <laughs> and just screamed at him and screamed at him. All the lights on, you know, and um, they're screaming at us to go to sleep. And people were were making commentary about the, how dumb the guy was you know, oh, and, and getting screamed <laughs> it was it was horrible it was just absolutely horrible um and then everything is a blur after that for for a while you know I, right yeah. we were rainbows right. for a little while in our you know civilian <laughs> clothes and that that was we we were 
too blown away by the circumstances to be embarrassed about it, you know, right. <laughs> in, our, in our civilian clothes. But, I mean, it was basic training. And uh, I got in trouble once. They were going to wash me back. We'd, um, this is the, this is honestly the memory that sticks out the most is um, towards the end, we'd gotten some base liberty and um, mm-hmm. I I had $10 and I had some change in my pocket and uh, we went out, we went out to uh, PT the next morning, first thing, and we're, we're running around the track and you can hear these quarters jingle in my pocket. And I'm like, oh shit, because <laughs> they heard it too, you know, and so they pulled me out. And uh, screamed at me just long enough for my flight to get all the way around the track once, and then told me that if I didn't catch up, that they were going to wash me back two weeks. I've oh, never shit. run so fast in my life. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm one of those people that I don't run unless somebody's chasing me or something, you know, chasing right, after me. But right, um, right. I don't, I don't like to run. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I like physical fitness, but I don't like to run. So yeah. I mean. That's saying something, catching up with that flight, because, I mean, they weren't, you know, you had those jackasses that would be in the front trying to pull everybody along, you know, and right, yeah, yeah. moving a little too fast for everybody. So, um, and that, that was honestly, the most emotion that I felt while I was in was the fear, <laughs> the yeah. dread, fear of being washed back for two weeks. Yeah, there, uh-huh. there was there was moments I totally understand that because there was moments when I was in uh, uh, basic training where, like, it was a uh, with with most things it was like go no go, but you know you could do it over again like the following day or something. But there mm-hmm. were certain things like your final PT test or uh, uh, BRM rifle marksmanship, um, mm-hmm. things like that. Where if you didn't pass, you were getting recycled all the way back to the beginning of basic training. Yes. And and the fear was real in those moments because, yeah. you know, usually you're, you're coming in like I think BRM started for us in week four mm-hmm. and then the final PT test was in like uh, week eight. And so you're you're faced with the possibility of going, you know, from eight weeks in all the way back. It doesn't matter how good or how uh, in shape you are or, or how confident you are in your skills. There's some real fear of having to repeat basic training from the beginning. <laughs> yeah. It would be horrible. It would just be horrible. You know, yeah. I had grown up in a house. I mean, my stepdad, he's all I remember for a dad. He came into my life when I was about a year and a half old. Um, he was a two-time Vietnam vet. He oh, wow. went over there twice. You know, he did eight years in the Army. And, you know, you could definitely tell the Army had affected him. <laughs> <laughs> he raised us the the way he ran the house you know he, he was most definitely a veteran and um some of the i recognize some of the things that he did raising kids uh while i was in basic training oh <laughs> so, the, the way that they yeah, the instructors yeah, yeah. <laughs> he ran our house like basic training at times you know so <laughs> well and that, well, that brings up a good question uh you know, we've had we've had a couple of Air Force vets on the show before, and one of the things they always emphasize is everyone's like basic training your boot camp is, is a little different based on your branch. <clears throat> but um, like the Air Force's basic training is really centered around the attention to detail aspect. It's the minute yes. details of things. And that makes sense with the jobs that, that you guys do. Um, did his upbringing help you prepare for that? Or was it still like just an overload? <sighs> 
Well, I wouldn't say – I'd say my upbringing prepared me more for the rest of life afterward. I, I don't think um, – I think Army basic training – you know, now having had a son go through Army basic training and right. – you know, hearing his stories and his stories are much fresher in his mind than mine are. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, he's, um, you know, he, he got a really bad deal. He, he was, um, he went into the army as COVID was really kicking off. Oh, <laughs> right that's beginning. So, yeah. And uh, they weren't to wear a mask through basic training. Um, I'm not sure. I know that he didn't get to leave on time. He spent another month right. or so. Another it's been a long, long time. Because they were locked down. That's right. Yeah, they yeah. were. He was still in a basic training dormitory. And, Reception uh, battalion. Yeah, he. Man, they were. They still did their drills. They still. So I mean, he was technically in basic training twice as long as he was supposed to be. Oh, and that sucks so bad. Then finally <laughs> goes to North Carolina for his um, training for his school, and he's stuck there Airborne. twice as long. And you know they're not nice there either. You know, so uh, he was he was really wondering if he'd screwed up joining the army <laughs> <laughs> because he yeah, wasn't they, doing a job. They all have second guesses, but going through that situation, man. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just a really bad bad deal on his part. You know, and he's finally, he's finally uh, working, you know. Yeah, he's been there for a while now. All right, so um, so you graduate basic training. Yeah. Obviously a momentous occasion. Uh, all of us go through it. It, it feels really special when, when you get to mm-hmm. walk across the stage or, or the drill pad or wherever you happen to graduate. Um, now you're, you're moving on to your uh, specialty schools. Uh, yes. I forget what they call it in the Air Force. Tech uh, schools, yeah. Tech schools, yeah. So you're moving on to your tech school. Um, how did you find out what your job was going to be, and what was at that the, experience like? At the end of basic training, uh, there was uh, me and um, two other guys um, were sent to uh, to Denver um, at the now closed down Lowry. Lowry's okay. gone. It's been gone for years. Um, I don't know what they're doing with the land now with uh, Google Maps. If you get on the satellite view, it's all still there. So uh, they're doing something with it. I don't know <laughs> what, but um, we'll never know. No, probably won't. Area fifty-eight. Right. <laughs> I remember buffing the the floors, and uh, my school was um, was pretty intense. It was eleven and a half months. Oh wow! So yeah, for a school to be eleven and a half months, you know they, that's that's quite an investment. And right. people, so that's getting pretty close to uh, to Jeff's. Uh, yeah, what is it? A school they call it in the Navy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they call it A school in the Navy. Yeah, but it wasn't because you were a cryptologic whatever. Yeah. wasn't that a? My, wasn't that a long? No, school? actually, um, from the time I left the ship that I was on to go and graduate from my A school and C school was only like six months. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So Dane's just over here being a fucking trooper. Yeah, no lie. <laughs> yeah, they still broke us up into, um, you know, you get to you get to your tech school and you're, you're, you're trapped on base for a while. First, you yeah. can't leave your, your dormitory and uh, you're, uh, you're in your uniform 24 hours. You know, you're not allowed to wear civilian clothes or leave. And by the end, you're like a civilian, you know, working a 
nine to five job. And, and I will say that from there on, that's what Air Force life is like. You're working, <laughs> you're working a job. You're just going to work and you wear a uniform to work. Um, right. And I think that that's, that's one of the things that uh, people like to pick on the Air Force about. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very i give the, i give the air force a, a large amount of shit just because it's it's what we do in Fair. the service you know um but at the end of the day i i love seeing those planes come overhead when i need them <laughs> yeah and i always i always said that if you did ta- if you weren't a pilot in the air force that basically your job and it was going to be Pardon me, scarbing uh, bird shit off a of runway in Zimbabwe or something. You know, <laughs> um, I mean that, that's how I that's how I picked the army. I mean, I just went through each service pros and cons. Okay, you're too big a pussy to be a marine. Um, <laughs> you don't want to be in the navy because you don't want to be called certain names. Yeah, your eyesight's fucked. You can't fly a plane. Guess what? You're gonna be in the army. Right. <laughs> Process of elimination. I, I, <laughs> as long as we were talking about basic training, I had a thought in my head. I read something the other day, a gentleman, 63 years old, um, actually had some time left, went back into the Army Reserves at 63, and they went through and they did all the um, uh, the waivers and everything on them. And he actually uh, he went to basic training. Yeah, they they required him to have to go again at sixty three, and he became the oldest person to graduate. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, that's crazy. Sixty three years old. Shit, I could barely handle. I mean, it was only for it was only for (laughs) Army Reserves. I mean, he wasn't going he wasn't going to an active unit, but still. Basic training is basic training, no matter what. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, he, 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 stood, he stood there in basic with the, with his fucking three chevrons and his rocker arm on there, staff sergeant. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I do seem to remember half of our uh, group disappearing halfway through. They they were the reservists, and you know they didn't have oh, they didn't have to train entire them. basic training. There, there's another thing about the Air Force. <laughs> You're going reserve or guard. You you don't do the entire basic right training. because yeah. they're two week guard period that can be yeah. considered learning their trade. That's interesting. I never considered that. Yeah, because I when I enlisted, I enlisted guard, but I was in the army, and uh, I went through the whole thing alongside the active duty guys. Right. Um, and then as they changed MOS codes, I had to go back. I had to take time off my. Uh, well, I was at school. I was in, in the civilian world, um, and and go back to Fort Sill to learn the new job specialty, and then go back. Eventually, I just got tired of him when active duty. <laughs> um, yeah, I was right, so, in, in Denver. You know, as as soon as I was uh, pretty much uh, working a nine to five job, even in school, uh, um, we had fun in the Rockies. You know, I mean, we had fun yeah. off base, had our weekends, and. You know, it was. Uh, <clears throat> I, I mean, I, I barely felt like I was in the military <laughs> there in Texas, and that ended. That ended pretty quick. So, 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 what, so what actually were you learning to do in that eleven months? Oh, F fifteen avionics. Okay, so that's all the little electronic pieces that are. That's in the cockpit. every all the cockpit electronics, all the um, 
weapons control, you know, the generator control, the um, communications. It's just any anything electronic on the plane, really. You know, um, see, that sounds like it translates to a civilian job pretty easily. Right. <laughs> you know, it very well should have, but you know, I was a shithead when I was younger, and uh, aren't we? You know, and um, didn't really want to get into that trade. I really wish I had now. You know. I'd have, uh, this is, um, I'm celebrating my 50th birthday month. Yeah. Month. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I did the same thing. I'll just say it now. Happy birthday. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That, so that was a long time ago, you know. Right. right. Early 20s. And, uh, so you get your orders, you graduate your tech school, you get your orders, and you find out you're going to o- Okinawa of yes. all places. Uh, what was going through your mind? Were you excited or were you like a little terrified? A little terrified, you know, um, I was, uh, you know, grown up in Hawaii, uh, so there wasn't a a lot of culture shock for me, you know, I mean, um, Hawaii is definitely a melting pot, you know, every culture there and in its pure form, all coexisting side by side, Um, so you, you really get to experience a lot, it wasn't so much that, it was realizing I was leaving the country, you know, and if you, you know, it, the first thing you think is, well, you're going to the Pacific and you're, you lived in the Pacific right in the middle of it. You know, you're not going to be that far from home. Pacific Ocean is vast. I was going to say, it's a long swim. <laughs> where my son is right now is farther away from Hawaii. He's in the Pacific. He's farther away from Hawaii than I am in Indiana. So <laughs> oh, wow. that, that's the Pacific is enormous. So I was still incredibly far from home. Um, and I decided to take some leave. You know, I took two weeks in California with my grandparents, which was probably one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life because uh, they're gone. You know, they've been gone for quite some time right. and they were still healthy, healthy enough to have a good time, you know, and uh, that that some really good memories of that, that leave, that trip, because I wasn't. I got to say, I, you're a little bit of a conundrum to me because on the one hand, you're like, oh, I was a, I was a poor student and. Uh, and, uh, you know, a little bit of a troublemaker. But then I took leave to be with my grandparents. Yeah. <laughs> you don't sound like that bad of a guy. <laughs> I just hated school. I mean, I can't really. <laughs> so only way I can explain it. I hated school. I hate school to this day, you know. And with my right. current job, I'm always having to go do back it. to school. Yeah. And I hate it. I hate school. But, you know, you do learn things. So, <laughs> right. I mean, there's some some good in it. So the for whatever reason, whatever happened, um, when I flying out to um, go to Okinawa, my orders, you know, we crossed the international date line to get to Okinawa. And I was a day off for my flight. So whatever happened, I don't know. I know I followed my orders verbatim, but somehow. But you were some, a day late showing up. Yeah, something was lost in translation somewhere. I don't Those know. orders are no longer any good. <laughs> so I had to take a civilian flight to uh, Okinawa, and that was the longest plane ride of my life. You know, living in Hawaii, uh, you want to go anywhere you fly, you know. So mm-hmm. planes were never a problem for me. But this flight was so long. We went all the way around the Pacific. It stopped in Alaska. It came down 
And then I finally ended up in Guam. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Just imagine how far that is. I swear I was on that plane for 24 hours. And it was it was wow. misery. You know, we landed. <laughs> No, we didn't get off the plane anywhere, you know. Um, right. It just fueled you. They taxied for a while, you know, and took back off again. And um, I've never seen a flight like that since because they usually clear the plane off. Yeah, because they want to get clean off. everything up, and, and there's some passengers that are going to be moving around usually. Right. So, wow, that's a uh, – Make sure nobody, yeah, die, make sure nobody <laughs> died in the first 18 hours you were on there. <laughs> <laughs> and I was on a 747 at that point. When I get to Guam, we got off. That was the first time I'd get off the plane. I get off the plane. I walk. We're on the runway. He's on a twin prop. <laughs> there's these boards, these walls set up, makeshift walls, and we're walking from one plane into another. And this next plane is a 727. You know, much smaller plane. So it's just getting smaller and smaller as you yeah. go between the walls. <laughs> and I'm like, where the hell am I going? You know, <laughs> what's going on here? He's, and, waiting uh, for, he's waiting for Orville and Wilbur Wright to come out right in their little bike plane. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the South Pacific is very stormy. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. So riding in a 727 over open ocean guam to okinawa is actually quite a distance i mean you're yeah. here again you have to you have to um, take into account how vast the pacific ocean is you know you're flying over the marianas trench you know and you're i mean you're the, the ocean is enormous you know right so i'm on this plane for hours on upon hours you know getting to okinawa and i swear i felt that plane Lifting and dropping 20 feet. <laughs> it was so stormy out there. I was sick, you know. Me, and meanwhile, only a, in your mind, you know you're AWOL and you're a day late. <laughs> <laughs> there were only a couple of other people on the plane, you know. So it was a very empty flight. I'm seriously thinking, where in the hell am I going, you know. Uh, I, mean, I was wondering if there were people on Okinawa, you know. <laughs> what were they getting? Was I going to jump out and parachute? Actually, existed. It's just uh, something we made up, and you're just living on a plane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. It was very surreal. Um, finally, we land. We land in Naha, Naha International Airport. Yeah. And um, I get off the plane. There's no English anywhere. Now, this is a, this is an island covered with military bases. Okay, but right, there's right. no English. But you took a civilian flight. Right. So you're on the civilian side. Oh man. There were there were no signs that I could that I could make anything out of. Uh, there were no Americans anywhere. Um, there were Filipinos. There were uh, Japanese. There were you know all kinds of different people. Uh, people from India, you know, etc. No Americans. Um, which is surprising for Okinawa. Yeah, it yeah. is a small island. It's a small island completely covered with military bases. And yeah. I was the only American at that airport, in that area at that time. And uh, I see this uh, guy in uniform off in the distance, and he's walking real fast. And I just knew I knew I had to get to that guy. <laughs> I had no idea where I was. I was I got off the plane, and I was a deer in the headlights. I didn't know where I was at. I didn't know how to communicate with anybody. Nobody spoke English. Were at least didn't act like they spoke English. You know, you'd be right, amazed yeah. how many Okinawa. They probably did. Actually. They just ignored yeah. that smelly guy that was coming <laughs> Stupid GI, you know, standing right. there. <laughs> um, 
so I uh, get this guy's attention, and uh, he was a Marine. He was stationed at uh, Camp Schwab uh, up on the northern part of the island, and uh, super nice guy. And um, he had some rank. I don't remember. I was still kind of blown away. Remember, he had some rank, though, and he was very nice to me, and he took me to Kadena, you know, where I would be stationed, and you know, and made sure I met up with the right people. Yeah, that was that was real big of him, you know. And um, yeah, so I spent my first night in a NCO dorm. Then you know, there I'm getting the wrong idea of what's happening, you know, because it's <laughs> a large room. It's comfortable, you know, right. <laughs> with amenities, and um, like, man, this isn't going to be so bad. And uh, I was there for two days in that dorm while they were figuring out where I was going to go because, as I said, I was late. Right, yeah. <laughs> so things, the, the world had moved on. Right. Uh, yeah. Finally, I end up in um, uh, old World War II age <laughs> H dorm, one of those H dorms. They're uh, right. Right. shaped like an H from above. So there's the, you know, you had your two wings. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Two stories of apartments basically but it's not really an apartment you have a sink in the corner uh, they're pretty small they're very stripped down yeah. um shared showers roommates shared showers <laughs> yeah yeah you know your your bathrooms were wait i didn't have a roommate though amazingly i actually oh nice yeah i mean so that was a that was a party dorm too i'm here to tell you that was that was man we did, did we party? <laughs> so, <laughs> I know the I know the listening audience can't see us right now, but uh, Jeff just perked up when you said that was a party dorm. Party dorm. <laughs> we had a guy who would jump off the the balcony or the the deck was up between the two sides of the H dorm in between, and it was on the second story. We had a guy one night who pulled a mattress out of his room and put his sheet on like a toga, and he was jumping off the balcony onto the mattress oh, trying to land on the mattress <laughs> yeah just i mean that kind of party you know just, right. <laughs> just going crazy um i remember taking all weekend to get back to my room once because <laughs> <laughs> i drank there. a little too much just, just a little bit um you know we we'd get together and and go down go into um okinawa city which is out gate two um very, that was quite a cultural experience, you know. Right next to base, you had all of the um, the bars where like, like you, you had the dancers, dancers, you know, right outside the main. Yeah, game. yeah. yeah. <laughs> and all these guys thinking they're going to get something, you know. And right. There's an ATM machine. You're going to get broke. You know? That's what you're going to get. <laughs> right. And they would just keep buying drinks and buying drinks for for these women and never getting anywhere with them. So, right. I mean, I. I I never really fell into that trap. You know, I, I ventured farther out and uh, found the other places to go uh, where you you would actually pick up women. But that wasn't really my thing there. You know, I didn't, didn't really waste my time. G.I. will take me home to big. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Big, they, they, to big PX. Exactly. <laughs> Every day there was a mass exodus of local girls walking out of the dormitory, walking toward oh, yeah. the gate. The ultimate walk of shame. Because <laughs> they'd gone home with somebody the night before and uh, kicked out of the room when they wanted to go to the BX. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, 
uh, man, too many memories to share in, in one interview, you know, Okinawa. Right, yeah, it was no, that's quite always, a place. That's always the case, yeah. And um, I, but, yeah. All right, so you're, you're in, and you're in Okinawa during uh, uh, Desert Storm. Yeah. You know, the, the offensive was three days long, but as everyone who lived at that time period knows, there was a lot more going on. <laughs> it on quite a while, yeah. You know, it actually went on for a while. Yeah. Um, what, a, the, what all was your experiences? Because you're actually working on the planes, and yeah. Okinawa is one of the major, uh, uh, well, I don't know what you call flight decks there yeah. um, for that region. Well, um, while the Middle East is geographically, it's quite far away from Okinawa. The planes right. were they, not they gonna fly actually in flying in there. Yeah. They were actually flying. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I had a secondary duty. There. What's that? I said, just put a KC up there. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, I had a secondary duty. I mean, everybody had their other duties, you know. Um, I was in tank building. So what we would do is go out to the flight line. And that, that's an experience, too, because anybody who's ever been up close um, and personal with a, any kind of a fighter jet, they're much bigger than you think they are. You know, from the videos that you see, they're actually quite large. And, you know, it gives you a lot more respect for those pilots. They're flying these gigantic chunks of metal, you know, like like ballet dancers up in the sky, you know, and uh, they're pretty good at it. So, I was actually shocked by how small the cockpit is the first time I was near one. Yeah, yeah. Because, like, on movies cockpit. and stuff, they make it seem so roomy. But there was, like, you couldn't even stretch your elbows out. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and you can't get close to them on the flight line either. You know, when they're testing out the radar systems, that's those are microwaves. You know, they mm. fry you. You know, they people had to actually. Um, I, I, only word coming to mind is detox, but I mean, you wearing could suits, injured, <laughs> yeah, you could be injured by these by these things when uh, they're on. They're so powerful, and uh, you obviously don't want to get behind it. You know? Right, right. <laughs> so they, they had uh, distances. You had to walk around these planes out there. The tank buildup was so they could make those long distance flights. And these they were external fuel tanks right. that these planes would drop when they would empty out. You know, just drop into the ocean. And um, so, because you know, that's that's a solid plane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they get there, you know, and, and they have to get back, but <laughs> right. They're, um, so you're crawling around in, in Okinawa is hot. It's hot there. Okay. And it's, it's not hot like Guam, you know, or somewhere like that, but it's, it's hot. Uh, so we're crawling around inside of these external tanks. Um, obviously with their, our BDUs on, uh, covered with petroleum jelly, you know, just, <laughs> yeah, just, putting these things together, you know, and yeah. it's all riveting and, you know, and everything. So and just making these tanks and they're stacking them next to each other, you know, they're and you're just going for hours on end because hours on they're end. going back and forth constantly yeah. during this thing. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's a disposable part, I guess, you know, yeah. <laughs> right. they, they don't recover them, you know, once they drop them from what I understand. So, um, that that was that was most of my experience on the flight line, except the one time a buddy of mine, who uh, he, this guy was really crazy. I miss this guy. He was he was a lot of fun. Uh, sick boy. Uh, 
<laughs> I think every unit in every branch of the military has a sick boy. Yes. <laughs> Someone guy, has the nickname sick boy in every He got year. a car. He actually got a car in, in Okinawa, which almost nobody did. You know, they, they, the uh, cars there are not like the cars here. Why? Uh, they're they're like tiny little engines, you know, and the, right. and the cost to ship them back is insane. Well, he did he didn't buy a new one. It, it was one that had been passed on, you know, from one guy to the gotcha. next. There, okay. somebody would leave, they'd sell it to a, a guy coming. So in. it was like the the barracks taxi, basically. Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> he painted a big red hot chili pepper symbol on the on the on the top of it and uh, tied some. They look like water buffalo horns. He put gigantic water <laughs> buffalo horn tied to the front. And, uh, I remember uh, somehow we ended up taking a wrong turn and ended up driving this thing onto the onto the flight line. That oh, was a yeah. big mistake, and I mean we <laughs> we're lucky they didn't they didn't get a hold of us, you know. So we didn't get very far onto the flight line, but. Um, we obviously, when we realized what was going on, we because all of a sudden, 20 vehicles started coming right towards us, you know? Right. <laughs> so we're driving this stupid-looking car, you know? <laughs> and uh, we got out of there, and we left base, and, you know, and the li- island is long and thin. So yeah. you get up to the top a uh, couple of um, kilometers, uh, there's no light, you know, no light pollution. You've got the China Sea on one side, you've got... The Pacific Ocean on the other, and there's no light pollution. It's the best view in the world, you know, of the sky. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, I can go on and on about my memories of Okinawa. Right, but we we do have to to shoot forward because we've got a lot to talk about because there's another aspect of this and something we've never really discussed on this show before, and that's what it's like to be the parent of, of people in the military. So you do your four years, you get out, you're back in the civilian world. Uh, and I know Mara's just been sitting over there bored out of her mind <laughs> while you're telling these stories that I'm sure she's heard a thousand times. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so you do your four years, you get out, uh, you're back in the, you're back stateside and you guys meet, like, how did you guys meet? What's, uh, what's the story here? We actually, uh, passed each other. Um, we lived, I went back to Hawaii right after I got out. That's for about a month, and because mm. I could then uh, catch a ride back stateside with my parents. Um, when gotcha. my, my stepdad at that time was uh, U.S. Customs, and he'd been in Honolulu Harbor, so they restationed him to uh, Laredo, Texas, on the on the border, Mexican border. Okay, and um, so you know we were. I was. I lived there for about a year, and. Uh, where she's from we're down in that area so you know we were we didn't know each other at the time we actually met in this so in india <laughs> so, so it ships in the night basically yeah, we crossed yeah. each other right. we crossed each other several times and then yeah. he on his way to work he would pass my house mm-hmm. and you know he's been no doing shit. it for years. yes yeah. yeah and then we finally it's funny that we're one of those facebook couples we met on facebook yeah and we had a mutual friend and we started talking and then just met one day and I didn't want him to leave. You know, I love like, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. like, you have to go. <laughs> so, and it just went yeah. from there. And, you know, we are. our family got together and we ended up with six children total, three boys, three girls. <laughs> that was amazing. That was nice, like, even spread. Nice, even spread. Oh, yeah, even spread. <laughs> sure. Uh, <laughs> sure. 
Um, the Brady Bunch. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I knew somebody so was going to say that. <laughs> All we knew was Alice. You know, we just needed that. I didn't dare. Oh, God. Yes, that was insane because we got together when our kids were at their most um, interesting point of their life, the, yeah. teen, the pre-teens and teenage years. Yes, yeah, so mm-hmm. that was interesting trying to get them to get along. And uh, just to, they're very, they're very different personalities. Just to clarify, thing. she, uh, we, we had our kids, mm-hmm. you know, separate. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's why we're talking about Brady. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so, <laughs> not my we, brother. I hate him. So we got together, and people were like, "When are you two going to have kids?" Like, you're crazy. And I said, "No, we're done. We're done. This, no, yeah. six is enough." I'm like, "You want us to have another have six? Do we really yeah. need more?" No, we don't need more. Um, like I said, they're all right. different personalities. Very different. Very different. And it's like we're t- becoming a parent six different times because you can't raise each of them the same. You know, what works one punishment will not do for another one. Yeah. And then you have to deal with that. That's not fair. That's not fair all the time. It's like I, some kids you want to bury up to their neck in the yard next to an ant hill, you know, and other kids. <laughs> cover them with honey. Exactly. And, and some kids, if you even look at them funny, that, you know, you destroy their spirit completely, right. you know. They're so, done. I mean, you. you well, that, I guess there, it probably, that, that there just described by Cheyenne, mm-hmm. where I would have had to put her in the ground and yeah. put honey on her and my Savannah. Savannah, <laughs> you look at her. And she just breaks down crying. Yeah. No, they're so different. Yep, yep. And we had to do it then. And I had, um, we had to. Were they from different places as well? Like, like, did you guys all have your kids in Indiana where you guys are at now? Or did you have them? My first daughter, I had her in Corpus Christi, Texas. I was still still in the Valley. I was a Valley girl. My son, I had um, down in the Rio Grande Valley in Harlingen. And then my Mm. other two, I had in Madisonville, like in Kentucky. And okay. so, yes, but they're pretty much all raised here. Um, right. I've been but there's, there's, there's probably a slight, like, cultural background yeah. for all the kids that are coming into this from different places and stuff. Yeah, Yeah. somewhat. I mean, you yeah. know, I, yes, it was, it's interesting. I could say that without getting too much into it. <laughs> right, yeah. Months, that's still like the PTSD. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> right. That's why they're like. Oh, wait till you have grandbabies. Like, no, no, no. No, we no, actually no. want to wait to have grandbabies. We're, we're fine. Yeah, we right? They're not ready. They're ready. Yeah. It's like, it's all my kids, if you don't have a place to put the baby, you don't need a baby. Because right. they're not coming here. Right. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're pretty selfish. Well, okay. Let, let's, uh, let's transition to selfishness. But before we get to that, real quick, let's take a quick commercial break and hear about the other fantastic shows right here on Radio Free Satan. Take a trip back to the 1980s with me, Warlock Jeff Ivins, on the Metro Radio Free Satan's show, highlighting the new wave and other hits from the indulgent decade, only on RadioFreeSatan.com. This is Reverend Gene, the host of Voxitane, exclusively on Radio Free Satan. 
Join me every week as we indulge in the classical side of music spanning the past 1,000 years. Vaxatani has already featured over 700 composers covering medieval, baroque, classical, romantic, and contemporary music, including chant, choral, opera, keyboard, and orchestral music, with composers ranging from Gluck to Gilmore, Bach to Bellevance, Talis to Taverner, and Paganini to Perth. Get your weekly recommended dose of classical music right here on Vaxatani, only on Radio Free Satan. With me, Reverend Jean. Hail Satan! Attention iTunes users. If you like this show and other programs from Radio Free Satan, then please take a moment to look us up on iTunes to rate and comment on the program. You can also do the same on Stitcher.com. Look up this program on Stitcher.com, rate it, and give us a review. And that's if you like the show, of course, you know, that you want to give it five stars and a good review, not... You know, give it one star and say a bunch of mean things. But hey, if you want to do that, then I'm sure there are a bunch of Christian podcasts on iTunes that you could do that on. Anyway, thank you for your support of RadioFreeSatan.com. And now back to the program. Welcome back to the official Infernal Legion podcast, the Wicked Warrior of the Month episode for March, year 57, Anno Satanas. We are sitting down here with Dane and Mara and the Moon, who are, uh, Dane just told us a fantastic tale about his time in the air force um and uh we just got to know mara a little bit but obviously this is the infernal legion podcast so there's the dreaded s word that we have to address both of you are satanists and members of the church of satan um how did you discover satanism when did you first read the satanic bible oh i guess that starts with me um i did I I was kind of hesitant for many years because obviously I have kids and I they still had their dad who's very heavily heavily into uh, Christianity uh, Pentecostal actually so that's not a oh. book really yeah that's not really a book I want them to find in my house yeah. and then go tell their dad oh dad look at what I found in mom's place you know so like no no so I waited a long time until they were old enough to understand. What if they had found it? Because I did not want to hide from my children. I wanted to be honest with them. So this has been, I don't know, about, what, four years? Four years? Yeah, four years before I I finally got it and I read. And, of course, as if with everyone else, I saw myself in the pages resonated with me. I'm like, I've been like this all along. Mm -hmm. I've been teaching my children these principles all along. I've been living my life like this this whole entire time. I just needed to see it written and know that I'm not alone. There's others just like this. And so I started joining some groups, which is one of them, you know, where I encountered many other Satanists and actually some local ones. We became very good friends. The two of you and I have uh, a great like Venn diagram of friends. Yes. Um, but there's a big like intersection in the middle, but we've never hung out. <laughs> yeah. but, yeah, like, we pretty yeah. much spent our time with like James Dima and his wife. Um, yeah, uh, the drivers. You know, um, yeah. those are our local ones. Um, we tried to get up to your area, Jeff. You know, it's because it's hit. No, it's like fine. I hit. live out in the middle of nowhere. I get it. Then <laughs> he does. He literally does. <laughs> and, and, and when I wasn't. And when I wasn't in Florida and I owned my house up there, I lived about, what, 30 minutes from you? 20. 20 minutes, and we never hung and out. And we never met. 
Oh, uh, so just never lined up. <laughs> and, he and, I, and he and I have the same birthday. Right. We even planned oh. a co-birthday party, but it just fell through. <laughs> uh, we also got to meet Rick. Rick, yeah. of course, uh, going yeah. over uh, to and uh, doing our haunted, you know, little expeditions of ghost hunting. That's been fun. Um, yeah. So I got more involved and became a member. And then Dane... You know, it was very- I was I, I was reluctant, and it wasn't because of the ideology. It had nothing to do with the ideology. It had to do with um, my whole life. You know, I haven't really changed my stance on anything in my entire life. You know, I pretty much I came by it genetically, I guess. You know, the for want of a better word, um, we were my family. We were never Christians. You know, we were we were always very. Um, uh, I guess I'm, I want to say atheist, but it, it's even more than that. It's they're um, skeptical. You know, I've always been a skeptic, uh, gotcha. and I still am. You know, I mean, hardcore skeptic. I you know, you, I'm a tough sell on anything that you can't offer some sort of evidence for, you know? Right. That so if you put religious trappings on something, you're, you're yeah. more likely to just say, no, fuck that, I don't care. Before you ever check it out, yeah. When, when, you know, I learned from Marie, you know, that that is exactly what I did. <laughs> I, that, um, that that is exactly what Satanism is. Mm-hmm. You know, that uh, that's... It, you do question everything. You, you don't. You don't accept anything at face value. People are. People lie. People, you know, spin things. They, uh, you know, there's too much, um, too much personal gain in any story or you know anything anybody says or does. Uh, so you have to be careful, you know. And yeah, I decided. Uh, why not? And you know, yeah. and it's a book written by a carny. Yeah, so there you go. And it's going to throw up not, some red you know? flags to some people. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that I. I'm glad that I did. I'm glad that I joined. You know. Um, no, no. It's a, well. Let's talk about that because you, you said the the key word there, and that's that's a big thing. Satanists are, for the most part, we're loners. Now we have our friends, and we we care about those that we care about, but we're on our own paths, doing our own things. Mm-hmm. And it's one thing to read the Satanic Bible and feel, you know. Uh, a kindred spirit in the words that are written there. It's a whole nother step to actually join the church of Satan. So what, what led to you guys joining the church of Satan? <clears throat> I guess rite of passage. I mean, that's, um, it's putting your money where your mouth is, you know, ah, okay. uh, it's kind of, a. that's how it was for me. Um, you know, the, there's so much bullshit out there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I, I'm struggling to find the words. Um, basically, what made me take that step was um, I, I actually had it easier than some people because, you know, we're married and <laughs> right. we can well, go. Well, Mara, were you already a member at yes. this point? We could okay. take this journey right. together, you know, as opposed right. to um, – and because you're correct about being loners, we, I mean, other than the time that I spend with my wife, which is a lot of our time, uh, we, we're both <laughs> loners. We are complete loners, you know, and we're right. even alone together. 
We, we don't associate with a lot of people. We're not, you know, we avoid our neighbors. Oh, gosh. <laughs> we, we're going to build, let's just say we're going to build a huge fence yeah. between one of our neighbors. We, we have, <laughs> we've, all, we've already started the process. We've had some stumps drilled out. We're going to have a surveyor mark our property boundary, and we're building a big six-foot solid fence down one nice. entire side so we don't have to look at them. And uh, <laughs> so let's just say, like, when COVID hit and everyone's like, oh, everything's shut down, we didn't miss a beat. It was like, so? Yeah, right, we didn't right. like going I actually anyway. appreciated it. Yeah. You know, I think what bothered me the most was everything shutting down uh, before midnight, you know, because no we, couldn't go, yeah. we couldn't go to the yeah. store when nobody was there. After that, you know, we had to go. Yeah. With and that that bothered me too because there were <laughs> yeah. so many. And I think a lot of companies used it as an excuse mm-hmm. to to stop twenty four hour service, um, because that was prime time for people like us to go shopping. We were away from people all the time. If you work an odd schedule or an odd shift, you know, it was a great time to go. But there weren't that many people mm-hmm. uh, in the world doing that, and so obviously, it probably wasn't. Uh, super profitable for them to be open 24 hours but man the worst possible time to, to cut down a 24 hour <laughs> yeah uh, i mean even for the sake of keeping people apart you know stay open right. at night when people can go time. by themselves you that know was the best around time. other people <laughs> yeah, and really spread was. covid to people i miss i miss those days i miss the mm-hmm. two o'clock morning shopping yeah, you know going yes. oh man that's so those were the best because <laughs> we're night shifters so that's our daytime yeah. and right right now we have to like stay up until like six in the morning when they open because we still don't want to deal with crowds you know <laughs> yeah. shopping it's like oh yeah. no but going back to like why why did we decide to join well why i decided yeah it's really just because you joined first right yes yeah. i i grew up a cradle catholic you know catholic the whole thing you know um went on mission because you're a dnd nerd yeah <laughs> 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 um, but this was really my way of breaking from all those old folk tales, those traditions, everything. I wanted to be free from them. That was just one more thing weighing on me. I wanted to let go. I said, this is my way. I'm F you the past. It's right, over. Right. This is now me. Yeah, it's a I'm passage. finally it's doing a, this. It's a rite of passage. Yeah, it's like walking through a doorway, leaving another uh, a room behind you and going right. into something new. You know, it's, that, it's almost like a, like a, um, I guess you could call it a modern uh, Le Masse Noir or uh, the Black Mass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To, you know, because the Black Mass, the idea behind it is to, uh, to ridicule Lampoon and be a heretic against these things that you need to cleanse yourself from in order to move forward and sometimes just dropping 200 bucks and getting a little crimson card is that ritual. Right. Well, exactly. the signing, exactly. the signing of the, the mm-hmm. application, you know, even yeah. That, yeah. You know, signing it's like you're making a deal with the devil. Like, yeah, <laughs> my signature's on there. It's yeah. done. It's over. You know, it's like this new life, new beginning. Um, oh. And so that was just my, my way of why I joined. And I became an active member as well. And I've been put in there like, what do you want to do with this? You know, what would you do? I'm like, I have no idea right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It'll come to me. Yeah, <laughs> I'll right. figure something out. I think I don't want to do that it. I'm question. not sure where I'm going with it. Yet. I don't know what I'm doing, but I just, I just know this is the right thing to do. I just felt it in my heart that I needed to do this. It will come. I am on a journey. Yeah. So yeah. And I figured out I am doing exactly 
what I need to as an active member. I'm, I'm doing my career, you know, my job. Um, every, my life, my life is an active membership. I, everything I do, how I raise my children, what I do day-to-day life, for me, that is being a member. You, you, know, you, um, you, live, your, you live your whole life mm-hmm. being told you're expendable. And that, that you have to sacrifice for for causes and you have to sacrifice your time and your energy and you owe it to society. You owe it to these other people. Right. And There's so, so many ideological spooks running around. around there, so. Exactly. And they and they will steal your entire fucking life, you know, uh, if, if you let them. And um, I guess joining is a way of saying no more, you know. No more, and it, it puts it in in the forefront so that you're you're conscious, you're making a conscious decision to put your foot down, you know, right, and um, live your life, yeah. and be you know free will take take your free will, the free will that you do have, you know, because <laughs> right. you know, they, you they're don't. certainly trying to take every little bit of it from us to can, yeah. <laughs> uh, Mara, you you had said earlier that uh, before. Uh, you, you kind of hinted at, and I just wanted to kind of clarify and see what the story was there, uh, that you didn't buy the Satanic Bible, you didn't read the Satanic Bible until you knew that your kids were old enough to understand it and, and whatnot. To me, that kind of sounds like you were aware of it beforehand. Had you done some research that wasn't... Uh, well, yes, online. On internet, you know? It's, yeah. It's not the internet. <laughs> so, I was aware. Um, I did my sneaky, you know, research and stuff. Um, and yes, I was... Doesn't that feel amazing at like 2 o'clock in the morning to open the Church of Satan website? And, like, yeah, so look at that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're naughty, you know? <laughs> oh, yes. I'm glad we didn't have like a computer for the kids to get on my browser history. Right. You know? right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, I did. And when they, I felt that they were old enough to understand, I was very open with them. I said, well, Mama needs to talk to you about something, you know, and I realized I'm still the same person. I didn't want them to think anything different because, once again, I had a very religious ex-husband. And amazingly, they accepted they accepted me. You know, they were fine. That's, so, that's good. In fact, one of my daughters was like, what, Mom? Are you a witch? What? what? I'm like, oh, my You're like, God, yes, you know? I am. <laughs> the, the hardest thing with, with my three-inch pardon me. You're like, wow. So it, it was interesting to hear that, and it made me feel so good inside because that's something I don't want to have to argue with my children about, or them to feel weird about me. I, you know, I accept them for who they are. Right. All the differences, and I hope that they. I taught them enough to accept me. And they right. did. And it made everything so much easier because now I can have things, decorations in the house and not have to explain myself. And that's what I want. I don't yeah. want to have to hide my books. Yeah, you, you, know, want, you want to build very, your total environment. around. Yes, I, I want to be able to do this comfortably knowing that my children, now all adults, can walk in and not be suspicious. Like, ooh, mother, what's that? You know, like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I want them to be fine. And they are. We, we wait for the day that... Um, that the postal service delivers a package of books to the wrong house and they open it up. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, that's well, so funny. Uh, uh, Laura, you're you're in the uh, my book cult. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So there's there's some interesting stuff that your neighbor oh, might yeah. open one day. <laughs> yes. Well, 
it act, it kind of happened, but not exactly with anything from the book cult or any of my special books. But right, one right. of them did go to my neighbor's house, which are actually um, police officers. And, you know, they actually opened it, left a note, sorry, I opened your book. I'm like, I told them, like, can you imagine if this had been another book? Yeah, it, been it, like, it was a pretty benign book. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and and that's the thing. She's she's a lot more open than I am. I, I'm not open because mainly my job, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, do, I just really don't care to have the debate with anybody, you know? Sure. Uh, right. Right. Well, like the doctor right. himself said that, uh, the, the true Satanist is not quite so easily recognized as such. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's a perfectly valid way of, of, uh, of living as a Satanist. In fact, some might even uh, say that, or it could, it could be argued, I should say that, uh, that, that that's a better way mm-hmm. necessarily of doing it, being the man behind the curtain, being the wizard of Oz, you know? Um, I personally, the only reason I'm open at all is because I, I crafted my life a few years back in such a way that it would be beneficial to me to be open, to be open. But not everybody's in that position. And yeah. I totally understand people who don't want to uh, to be open about it. Well, I mean, even with our occupations, we're in the medical field. I mean, it's not yeah. something we really want to like, you know, I don't wear any necklaces or anything at work. I don't want it to actually pop out. I mean, especially like I don't have patient contact anymore. My husband does, but that's not something really you want your patients to have to like look at it and just say, oh, no, you know. Yeah, right. right, right. <laughs> no, mm-hmm. You know, and no one would ever guess because. Well, and, you know, and that's that's actually a good point. So let's let's talk real, real fast. Let's talk about you got you guys are both in the medical fields. Uh, Dane, you're a nurse. Mm-hmm. And and Mara, you're a, a lab technician. I, I don't know your fancy title. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you guys both got into the medical profession, and so Satanism is unabashedly a selfish religion. Right. It's 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 self-centered. It's elitist. It's um, uh, atheistic. Uh, but the medical profession, by by virtue of what it is, uh, isn't that. And so I'm always interested and curious when I speak to uh, Satanists who are in the medical profession, what got you interested in that? What, what is fulfilling about that? It's obviously fulfilling to both of you. Yes. Um, you know, I'm always very careful, you know, how I explain it. Uh, you know, because, um, you know, you say the wrong thing when you're in the medical field and, um, you know, the wrong people get that information, you know, you're, yeah. you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely not, I'm definitely not a bleeding heart. You know, there's, I, I really, I get paid for what I do. That that's uh, number one. You that's get, You get paid well too. Yeah. I get paid. Nurses and, and get really good money. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Ultimately when it comes down to it, it's my employment. You know what I'm saying? It's it's. Um, I, I think that a huge clarification that needs to be made is that. Um, are you all right? <laughs> no, this, that was odd. <laughs> I felt like I was watching a '70s psychedelic video there. For- <laughs> well. Uh, as you know, Alyssa likes to come in here from time to time when we when I'm recording. And I just had a breast come out in my face. So ah, 
Uh, gotcha, okay, gotcha, there you go. Gotcha, right. yeah. <laughs> it makes sense for this facial expressions. All right, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> <laughs> so, the clarification that needs to be made is she keeps moving so you're my gonna, hand away from the computer keyboard. Don't touch. So, Carl fingers off that touch screen. <laughs> you know, nursing started. It was. Um, it was a very religious calling, you know, for for it, days gone yeah. by, you know. Uh, some people still try to um, claim that it's, you know, it's because of their faith in God and, you know, and they, they have to serve people, their service to other people. Uh, you know, humans are animals. You know, we, we have um, sure. we have these finite systems that. That we op- that keep us alive. Uh, it's all science. I mean, really, it's all science, and that, is, that's yeah. that's all medical is is science. You're tweaking a, a system, you know, and you're watching for what happens, you know. And they're they're very complicated systems, but you know that's what you're doing. Um, as I said, it's it's my job. Um, do I get reward out of it? Personal reward. I meet really interesting people. You know, I have really interesting people um, from all walks of life. And uh, I enjoy meeting those people. I I get definitely get some satisfaction out of that. Um, Do I like to do I get a good feeling out of helping other people? It really depends on the people, you know, (laughs) I would imagine with some patients, it's just a job with other patients. It's a very rewarding it's a rewarding interaction. It's an interaction for me. You, you know, I would look at it that way myself. I would look at it as I'm doing something to satisfy myself. And yes. in satisfying myself is my is my um, uh, success with whatever I'm doing with my patient. Yes. Or, or yes. whatever. That That is fulfilling for me or would be. That's the way I would look at it. Yes, not right. not as any of that other stuff, but your own self fulfillment for what you have done for that patient. Yes, being good at what I'm doing, you know, is important to me. Right, right, right. And uh, I think that's that that's ultimately that's that's a super satanic trait that uh, a lot of people uh, a lot of people avoid nowadays. But I think it's something that that us military folk uh, have ingrained in us. It's not enough to just do it; you have to be the best at it. Right. And you may never be the best at it, but God damn it, you're going to fucking try. <laughs> and you're only supposed to care for yourself, but you got battle buddies out there. Well, I'll tell you what, you don't understand the military until you understand, you know. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And pe- people say, well, you ain't supposed to care for anybody but yourself. Getting shot at, get up, get the fuck out of there. No, you got your battle buddies. <laughs> right. No, uh, I think you're not going to down- survive alone anyway, you know. <laughs> That's right. The, you need those battle buddies. Mm-hmm. You need them. I think when it comes down to it, I mean, even for me, um, you said lab tech among many names, medical technologists, medical sciences, this lab, you know, in the laboratory. Yeah, no, uh, it's the, it's the medical let's, field let's of pause science. Real quick. What is it you actually do? Is oh, this- <laughs> the question. The question. The question. The question. Is, okay. Unbeknownst. You can tell you, but you have to kill you. Uh, <laughs> it's classified. Um, uh, you think you hear the word lab says, Oh, you're lactic. Oh, you come with the needles. Actually, I don't stick patients at all. I, I have nothing to do with the patient. Um, I used to in a small hospital. I know, yes, I know phlebotomy. I can do blood. I can do 
a lot. But that's over 20 years of experience in the field. Um, and I've worked different places with research. I did pre-deployment physicals for civilians. I've worked in operations with global establishing contracts all over the world with military contracts and stuff. That's a lot of things I've done with my degree. Now I'm just at a trauma hospital and I just work in the lab. Doing what, Marie? Um, COVID testing. I, I run the specimens. Okay, okay. Everything that comes out of your body, anything comes off your body, I've, I, can test, I can test. You know, cultures, I mean, blood transfusions, chemistry. Chemistry is my favorite. I'm, I love being chemistry. Um, hematology, identifying anemias, identifying... Gold cancer. member in his you know, like. Yeah, anything that comes off and, you know, amputated, whatever, goes through through my hands at one point or another. And, you know, I love being able to look at a blood smear and seeing cancer for the first time on a patient. You know, I'm like, that's sad. That's sad that, you know, I'm saying that that's horrible for the patient, but for me... To be able to see that, to make sure that the patient gets treatment as soon as possible, to say, "Hey, there's something here. They need to be, you know, needs to be further looked at." To say that's, I know what it is, but I can't officially say it. Well, it's, it's a subtle yeah. trope where where a doctor orders a test, right? Mm-hmm. A doctor says, "Oh, do this test," and uh, and and then the test gets sent away, and it comes back with results, and so. It's it's become such a trope that I think people have forgotten about the middleman in that process. Mm-hmm. They forget. Oh, yeah, they forget because yeah. it's not just you know to this other doctor staff. can't make a diagnosis without no. the information you provide. No, and another <laughs> people think it's oh they just get the blood stick in the machine they push buttons like no actually we're kind of me- mechanics as well because when the machine the analyzer goes down. Who do you think's fixing it? You should see these machines that she works on. Yeah, and they don't. We don't just use them twenty four seven. They have to go through calibrations, maintenance, quality control. There's a lot of things that be, can be have to be done before we even sure. like, release the results. Mm-hmm. Or being suspicious, like did the nursing staff collect it correctly? You know, mm-hmm. they's very aware of this. Um, <laughs> You know, there's this ongoing battle between nurses in the lab, and when they find out where Mary's, like, how could you marry a nurse? You know, it's like, really? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I um, spent I spent uh, a year and a half uh, as a security manager at a trauma facility hospital, and uh, I can say without equivocation that I hate all medical personnel. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and you know. Um, for some clarification, um, I spent uh, eight and a half years in the at trauma ED, you know, start out. And I just recently went to the bedside part of it, you know, up in the unit. I just wanted to change. I mean, it's a, it's a breath of fresh air. Man. Yeah, yeah. It, the uh, emergency department is insane. Chaos. Yes, <laughs> complete chaos. And I, and, you know was making clarification about that, about the term nurse as well. You know what people think of? It's kind of like how they, they don't know what she does. You know, she, she has to tell you what she does in order for you to understand. It's the same thing I think with uh, nursing these days. Um, When you think nurse, you think those, uh, those predominantly women in the skirt and the bow on their, you know, back of their head in their candy stripers (laughs) and their, 
they're being so tender and sweet to these patients. Hello, nerves. Yeah, all right. I, I, I can, I can say for sure. I, I don't know you that well, Dane, but I can say for sure I've never met a tender and sweet nurse. <laughs> I can tell you that you are absolutely correct. There, you know, at this point in history, I would say that this field is, um, for most people, it's a job. And, that, and nothing more. Um, you you have to really. It, it's a great place to work on your lesser magic. I mean, Ooh, seriously, great place because, you know, I'm human. I have, I, I sometimes uh, fall subject to preconceived notions, you know, stereotypes. Yeah. Yeah. Things like that when I when I meet a patient and uh, I have to – I'm basically meeting a person for the first time that I have to get something out of and I have mm -hmm. to convince them. And some people will extort – will try to extort me with their health. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that, that makes that perfect amusing. sense. It's like, you're laughing, well, but it makes perfect sense. <laughs> you're, you're not a prisoner. You can leave. You know, it's not right. gonna, not, I'm not going to get sick because you left and didn't take your treatment. Um you know, so I'm not allowed to do that, though. You know, I mean, I, obviously, virtue of my job, I can't do that. I have to treat all of my patients. And um, we, some some people are pretty nasty. You know, they're not very nice people. And Just you have treated them don't mean it's the treatment they wanted. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I definitely fulfill a role on the unit I work on, you know. With the uh, other people, because uh, most of my coworkers are half my age, and you know, no life experience, and um, they get very uh, they they put up with a lot of abuse, you know, yeah, that I don't put up with, and uh, I've just learned in my life uh, up to this point so far, you know, to be able to shut shut it down when it starts, you know. I think one thing a lot of the and this is probably for any of the people or listeners that are thinking of going into the medical field. Nursing isn't – a lot of them I see, and this is just from my experience over many years in different hospitals and different types of facilities and settings, a lot of new ones come in thinking, oh, my patient's going to be so grateful, so grateful that I <laughs> saved, that I yeah. saved their life. I That's saved your life, you know, they're, yeah. and they're going to look up to me. Thank you, nurse, for saving my life. No, it's not like that. Not a lot of them are not like that. You're dealing with mm -hmm. human beings, people, and people can yeah. be horrible sometimes. Some and, are really legit. Something I had to remind myself the entire time I was, when I worked in a hospital was uh, uh, everyone who's here, with the exception of, uh, of the birthing uh, area, Everyone who's in here is having the worst day of their life right now. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> Those exact same they words. They are, and, they're, is, and um, they're tired, and they're sick, and they're yes. grumpy, and the families are upset. You're dealing with a lot, and if you cannot handle that emotional part, that you don't have that thick skin, then nursing is not for you. Right. You know, it's not, because you're not going to be doing the best job that you can. You'll not be working to the best of your ability while you're taking on that mental That's strain. And on yourself, because if you're not in the right mind to take care of these people, they come in, they worked in the ER. I've seen some pretty crazy stuff. Like when I worked in a small hospital, we were a skeleton crew, and I would go help the nurses in the ER. 
I've seen bones sticking out of bodies. You know, I've seen I've seen the horrible what comes in. And if you right, can't right. take that, then that's not the feel for you. On the other hand, it's definitely I think a very rewarding field. I love what I do. I know many people aren't familiar with what we do because you say lab and I don't want to stick people with needles all the time. No, there's more to it. <laughs> there's a lot. Yeah, there's absolutely there's the smallest lot. number of there's lab workers. And we don't even have like phlebotomists at our hospital anymore. All the nurses do the job now. Um, and if you want to help people, you want to be in the medical, but don't want to deal with people like patients, come to my yeah. place. We need people. <laughs> it's the best place for an introvert, honestly. I mean, it is the best. You go to my little cave and you work there and then you go home. You don't have to deal with people at all. I'd like to say, too, I, you know, I didn't um, – being a nurse wasn't my lifelong dream. And, oh, you know, bullshit. I look back on how in the hell did I get here. <laughs> I actually ask how the hell did I get here sometimes. And – it was just it was a series of steps and doors I went through. You know, it was um, I've I've been a prison guard. You know, I've um, worked on a surveying crew. I've you know worked in uh, I've I've had a lot of jobs. I, I've I think yeah. I counted them all up. I've had twenty five jobs in my life. Some of them longer than others. This is by far my longest employment anywhere. Um, 13 years. I have not been anything else afterwards. Um, I honestly don't know. You're celebrating the big five. Oh, right now. You think there's something else coming down? the I I really don't. And the reason I say that is I'm comfortable, you know, um, I feel like, uh, there are many, many more important things to, to life than chasing a career. A specific sure. yeah. I agree. I, Wholeheartedly. Me, you have to if I had my way of it, I would stop working. I would stop working for other people. In a yeah. heart you know, I would uh it's not because my I have a bad attitude, it's because I think I have the right attitude. The right attitude is that my life right. is short. Um I don't want to spend my life slaving away for somebody else. You know, if I if I don't yeah. have to. Um as far as reality, and it doesn't matter. I, I think that's that's a really important uh, point that you just made. I, it doesn't matter what job you have, mm-hmm. how important you think it is, um, uh, what your uh, ideology might happen to say about whatever job you have. If you are working a job uh, where you have an employer, you are somebody else's slave. Yes, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a negative thing. Right. Right. It's a. Uh, uh, it's, it's simply a condition of um, the way you're controlling and, and moving your own life. But when you're beholden to someone else, that is what it is. And it's something that should be considered, I think, more in society so that, that people take jobs that they actually want to have mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of, you know. Yeah. Exactly. I feel else. with my career, I don't feel like I work for anyone I feel like I'm my own boss. I go in there. I don't have any supervisors looking over me, telling me what to do. I'm expected to know what to do and to take charge and to make the right decision. And I feel like my own boss when I go. Mm-hmm. I don't go. feel yeah. like I'm working for yeah. anyone. I'm and they're. I'm not working. It's for about them. setting your mind. You in know, the right process. Yes, they're they are paying me yeah. for my expertise. Precisely. It's not the yes. Other yes. Perfect. It's yeah, like that. Yes. And if you can make your career that <laughs> way, where you are the valuable one, 
you are the one that's getting paid for what you know, what you can do. It changes your perspective. That's exactly where you're I was You're no heading. longer you're... that slave to the industry. You are you're your own boss. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and I'm going in. I have a good time at work. I mean, it may be busy. I deal with the coworkers, the calls and stuff, but I do good. I'm a badass. Okay, I see myself as badass. Like, yeah, and, um, yeah. So when I was, I told them that I'm moving on to a different hospital. I have my coworkers pretty darn sad right now. They're like, no, because they're losing me, you know. And I'm like, well, I'm taking my expertise and my experience somewhere else, somewhere where you're being rewarded for I'm, it a little bit more. And I'm taking yeah. it easy. I'm going somewhere where I'm going to be a lot less stressed out, you know, from what the job is, and I'm. Take it's a lot easier for me, so I can do more of what I want to do, mm. making my life easier, and that's the yeah. point, you know. So, yeah, and that's what we try to like. Even with the kids, we try to tell them: so you may work hard, you may sacrifice for a very small, tiny part of your life, but you're doing it for the rest of your life, which is a long time. Well, let's yeah. talk about that. Let's talk about that sacrifice. Let's uh, let's transition into. Um, uh, Back to the military, I guess you could say, because this is a military podcast. Let's get back to it. (laughs) You guys, so you have six kids collectively. The two of you have six kids. Two of them are in the military. Yes. And uh, as anyone knows, and especially anyone listening to this podcast knows, uh, the military involves quite a bit of sacrifice. Um, You have one child in the – well, I – children they're they're in the military so they're adults but yeah. you have a yeah, you have children. One child in still children. they're still our kids <laughs> you have I one child you. in the air force and one child in the army how did this come about what was uh let's start with whichever one joined first let's what was the conversation like oh gosh yeah so that was my son my oldest son um yeah. he is turning 20 for this year in August, yeah. so he's 24. Um, and he's, oh gosh, let me see. I don't know how I can put it, but any Latina mom will tell you she he's my corazón, he's my prince, my mi rey, you know, he's like my thing. Yeah. I pull him pedestal. Yes, it's very common for Hispanic moms to think of their sons like that. We put him up <laughs> on a pedestal. All right, so he's he was always very intelligent he graduated with an um, associate's degree before he graduated high school he was doing college oh, at the nice. time. yep um so which got him um a lot of college credit and he went to iu he thought he wanted business i said are you sure it's like well came back and said mom it's not for me i think i failed and being the way i am i said no you didn't fail you just found something you didn't like try something mm. else try again yeah and this is coming a little bit about my background with the military. My grandfather was in World War II in Korea. He fought. He was in the military for a long time with the Army. I have cousins that are Marines. I have uncles that went to Vietnam. I have a brother that was in the Air Force. I, I mean, military runs heavy in our family. So I'm like, yeah. well, well, Mijo, that didn't work. You're going to listen to mom now? So you should have. I wanted him to go to the Naval Academy, but his dad was like, no, no. Yeah. You know, um, so I said, you're going to listen to me now. And I said, go to the Air Force. So you'll take your time. You go. You'll do good. So you, you can do this. You've got the brains. You've got the discipline. Do it. And I've thought several different branches. So my son in the Marines. No, I don't want my son in the Marines. Um, 
Like, where do I want my baby to be? I feel all right. He already ate enough crayons in his. Oh, I know. <laughs> so he went, you know, so he's like, okay, he enlisted. Um, I, one of the things I remember most, and it's, I don't know how to say it, being a parent sending my son off to the military. Yes, it was scary. People ask me, how could you do that? What if he dies? Like, well, what if he dies in a drive-by here or in a car Walking across the street. Walking this, I mean, do I want him to die honorably serving his country, come back, and I have his flag? You know, or do I want to see him die a pointless death here? And you got a front-page newspaper clipping, if you're looking. Yeah, oh, some, some, you know, that, and like, no. I laugh about it, but, I mean, that's, you know. Yeah, it's it's very hard. It's a very difficult decision, you know, for, for me to send them, you know, tell them to do this. But all my cousins made it back, you know, my grandpa did, and he's got some really good war stories. He told me, because he was like my dad. Um, so, I'm like, do this. So he went, and I think the hardest point in the whole thing was having that call when he was at basic training, and he called me. Oh, my gosh. I wanted, I just, oh, that's the first call. call in the first like, call. Like two minutes. Yeah, that call. Oh my gosh, he called me and I my heart sank and it broke. I'm like, what have I done? I said, my baby, they're yelling at him like, Dan, I need to go tell them to stop. (laughs) An overprotective mama popped out real quick. (laughs) They're making him suffer. (laughs) I wanted to go and like what 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 does he do in the Air Force and where is he army? Don't give me too much information. But what's his like um, general he he just became a staff sergeant couple of few months ago at the age of 23 becoming a staff sergeant's pretty that's pretty huge. darn good air, yeah air force yes. has low promotion rates that's amazing oh. yeah it was yeah. his second attempt he tried once and they said no and they tried again but he had received what was that that award he he got some yeah, almost for, nobody gets he, makes it to staff sergeant yeah. in their first you know he yeah no I, not in the air force anyway yeah. Yeah. He he got some major recognition for some things that he did saving the air, the military like the air force like millions and millions of dollars like coming up with these projects he does pretty much what he probably he got did while he was in the military metal. he he um he fixes the parts on the you know the jets the fighter jets same thing like Dane okay. does uh, but oh really does, uh, yeah, yeah. It is, it's pretty cool that he's doing exactly <laughs> that awesome. um but he. He does a dang good job. He trains them. He, he's like, like I say, he's a boss, you know, and we talked last night for about an hour and a half and he was telling me about training the new guys and them coming in, the other sergeants like being rough and not training them correctly. And says, Oh, I got to make them stop. And, you know, and putting his foot down and stuff, you know, but yes, he's a staff sergeant, and um, yeah, now he's an NCO. Now he's got responsibility, and I bet it feels a little weird for him. <laughs> well, yeah, in a way, he was already doing that job. So now I told him, well, now you got the recognition, and you're getting paid for it. Yeah. Now, so yeah, it's <laughs> like good. you were saying earlier about you become an expert. They're paying you for your expertise. Exactly, and that's what's yeah. going on. And I'm like, good, you did it. So, well, needless to say, I'm extremely proud of him. Um, <laughs> yeah, so he's now, doing good. So, so the other, the other bright young star in your family joined the army, which uh, you know I'll, I'll give that a hula. Um, what what happened with this? Well, um, he was a little bit. His path was a little more similar to mine. 
um, you know, there, there aren't a lot of opportunities in this town where, you know, where, that we live in. I mean, there are opportunities, but, you know, you, you really have to take school seriously and, you know, and earn your way into them. And if you don't make, if you don't make the decision to follow a career path from grade school on, uh, it doesn't leave you a lot of options. Um, you know, and I had discussed the military with him before, you know, um, I'm, I'm a firm believer in a, I, I'm more of the dad in the group, obviously, you know, the, you know, she's, she's like my son, you know, and I'm like, yeah, you know, you, <laughs> you've got, <laughs> you got this, you're, you're almost done, you know, tough it out. And, um, you know, kind of, I, I have that attitude with, with, um, my, the army son as well. He's, uh, you know, he needs to tough it out. I don't know how long he's going to stay in or what he's going to do. Um, but he's he actually finished that contract. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's definitely going to finish his contract. Um, you know, and then we'll see what he does after that. I mean, uh, yeah. he's in a great career field. You know, he's uh, working on diesels and um, the, hyd- the hydraulic systems on trucks that – Nice. Okay. Uh, the, the Air Force owns, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so he's getting some great uh, work skills, you know. And uh, again, putting putting your uh, money where your mouth is, you know. Um, I believe I not everybody agrees with me, including some veterans and active duty. But I, I I'm t- completely for having a strong, massive military because these other countries in the world are trying to kill us you know and uh we need we need to think about our defense against them right, right. and people who uh, you know we've got sons in the military now and that's can be scary i'm not gonna lie you know i'll tell you what it makes you it makes you follow world politics you know when <laughs> you've got I don't know. Hey, I don't you know pay a little bit closer attention. To what's happening? <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Um, I do pay well, attention. Believe it or not, I actually do pay attention a lot. I just don't really talk about it because I get mad right, real quick. Right. But when I talk about <laughs> anything political and stuff, and it's like, nah, I don't want to talk about it because it just get me upset because I get wound up. Um, and you know, being the book cult, obviously, I'm, I'm into different <laughs> and stuff. You know. And, Right. Yes, and I think that's another thing where Satanism comes in. I just don't follow along with the whole entire sheepish community, you know, sure, listening sure. to the media, reading social media, listening to the news things. I don't. I stay off that. Mm-hmm. I form my own opinions from what I read and what I hear from other people living in these other countries. Yeah. I like yeah. my news direct because if you listen to the news, they love to pump up the pump up the crowd saying, you know, oh, this is going on and get you all wound up. And before you lose, before you know it, you're caught up in that wave along with everyone else, you know, right, and yeah. well, and it's, one, it's one big, uh, you know, the, and I mentioned this in the last episode, we were talking about the military industrial complex that that's a lot deeper and more um, parent than a lot of people understand. You know, it's, it's not, it's easy to point to, 
you know, uh, weapons manufacturers and say, oh, you're part of the military industrial complex. But it's not easy for people to point at, you know, mainstream media or um, uh, major corporations like Boeing and whatnot and go like, oh, well, you're part of the military industrial complex as well. But they are. They are, yes. (laughs) They're just as much involved in the overall picture as the the private military contractors and the – uh, and the weapons manufacturers are. It's it's all the military industrial complex. Well, I think you know. Also, things that you know, we're, we need a strong military. Yes, we do. Um, I think another kind of interesting thing about our country is I don't think anyone would ever try to really invade us, honestly. Because I mean, we're a bunch of scary people here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we all like our guns. You know? yeah. I mean, we own quite a few of them ourselves. <laughs> I mean, it would be interesting to see, you know, I, I think of these old movies like Red Dawn and all that, you know, where they're landing and trying to occupy a small town. Like, <laughs> I'd like to see them try. Uh, <laughs> it's not, yeah. not going to really happen. No, um, we pride ourselves on our military. We pride ourselves on being a strong country. Even though we don't seem like we're very united to ourselves, we actually really are. Because when it comes down to it, if something were to happen, I think we would definitely gather together and it would become one country again. I, I say it sometimes jokingly, this country does love a good war, you know. And that's when it comes together and you see oh, them all rally the troops oh, and everyone's working together. Go team, go. You know, no. it's like and then when it gets a little too slow, I think we get a little bored and we start focusing on right. each other. Well we, and, and we start infighting, yeah. That's and we start infighting amongst yeah. ourselves and then you know, because we're too bored. We're a bored country unless we're doing something. So yeah, well, and, uh, so I mean, and and let me let me tie that back to to you guys being parents of of now two kids in the military. Um, so the the uh, operation during free freedom ended. Uh, we pulled out of Afghanistan, but the global war on terrorism is still going on. Uh, and this is something we we brought up numerous times on this show. Like we have troops deployed all over the Middle East and the Horn of Africa. And now we have the Ukrainian-Russian thing that we talked about in the introduction. Um, how, how does it feel having kids now in the military? But like Mara, just as, as, you know, as a wonderful uh, Latina mom and, and Dane as a former veteran, how does it feel to have kids in the military when it feels like the world might just jump off at any moment? Well, that's a good one. I, I like this question. Um, and I'll, I'm going to take it back a little bit to explain. Uh, when my when I went to my son to join and my ex did not, one of the things is, well, I just don't want him to have to push that button. And that what he meant was being responsible for sending maybe troops to their doom, you know, to go fight. You know, and I said, who else would you want? We raised him. If he did something, we know he did it for the right reason. I know my son will do the best he can. I know that they will, they're doing what they must. I got to let go. I'm, yes, I'm a very, you know, protective mom, but at the same time, I'm not afraid to let my son go and go and fight and defend, you know, this part of living in this country. You know, I'm a very strong supporter of the military. If he has to go and serve, then by all means, go and do your damnedest. Go give him help. I'm not afraid of that. You know, I'll be thinking of him every day. I'll be hoping he makes the right decisions every day. But at the same time, I want, I know he'll do good. And come what may, I mean, 
this is life. You know, we're going to go at some point if he does. Yeah, I, 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 I just feel like I feel a lot like she does. You know, I, I don't believe in the sheltering, you know, parents that over shelter their children. They, you know, your kids have to have experiences and they, they have to learn and they have, you know, they have to be in a constructive environment. And I would say it, when my or when the Army son started to grow past the point where I had enough strength to keep him reined in and keep him on the right path. Um, he needed to go somewhere where he had a whole bunch of dads. <laughs> you know? And they all wear funny hats. And they all wear funny hats. And, you know, and they yell at, you know, they yell at him and he can't yell back. You know, he can't, he can't, I mean, when you're raising a son, I mean, there are as many types of sons out there as there are sons, you know? Um, yeah. But some are some are, are are easier to raise than others. Um, yeah, some you tell them to do something and they they want to please you, you know, and they do the things that you want them to do. They do things your way. Other sons, not so much. Other sons have their own ideas. They think you don't know what the hell you're talking about. They're not afraid to yell back or you know to do things their own way anyway. And, you know, you learn really quickly with the son like that how limited your powers are as a parent. You, you, you can't stop your kids from doing shit. They're going to do what they're going to do, whether you try to stop them or not. And um, so when a, when a kid is like that, now, I even with all of the things going on in the world, um, I would say that they're, they're still in a good place. Um, do I want um, – one of our boys to die on a battlefield somewhere? Hell no. You know, that that's horrible. Horrible to of course, think. Of course, yeah. No, I, I don't imagine any parent would actually want that. If they if they are, they shouldn't have had kids. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> in the, you know, in the meantime, that's life on earth. Um, you can't shelter them. So I just, I'd rather just be proud, you know, be proud of them. Yeah. And um, let, let them trust that they're going to navigate their life in such a way that's going to keep them safe themselves. They need to learn how to take care of themselves and we're not always going to be here. And I, like I said, when it, it comes down to it, we, we like to be selfish, you know, yeah. we like to have our own stuff and not give it all to the children. You know? <laughs> children need to get their own damn stuff. Right. <laughs> See parents out there that are, that are poor, um, not going to say who I've got a I've got a family member that worked three jobs at one point trying to send one of their children to college who was um, not doing so hot you would rather party than go to what parent well, shit, there's a free way to send them to college <laughs> you know, why would you do that you know I'm trying to send send the child to a to a good name school an expensive school trying to do everything they can to give this kid an edge in the world why not train that kid to build their own edges, you know, right. build their own bridges and uh, make their own relationships with people. I'll tell you what, we're getting some sound bites out of this interview. Because mm-hmm. uh, uh, Dane, Mara, both of you are, are full of some, some great quips that just kind of sum up little pieces of satanic philosophy. I love it. I'm mm-hmm. a big fan. <laughs> well, okay. So, you know, we have two sons in the military, but the other four, what are they doing? All right. Yeah. My oldest, you know, she's married. She's got a job. She's doing good. She's been out of the house since 18. 
you know, yeah. um, the little daughter. Then, early. Then, <laughs> then, yeah, they leave, but they leave. And I've always told them, I said, you know what? One day, this is the thing I've done, I think, to all of them driving down the road. And I says, you see that really mm-hmm. nice Porsche? You see that used JD by Ryder car over there? You know, this other car? Which one do you want? So obviously the Porsche. It's like, well, what do you think you need to do to get it? Because mm-hmm. I ain't buying you it. You ain't getting it for me. <laughs> says, I'm going to be driving my own Porsche. Get your own. And I said, right. what do you need to do to get that Porsche? And I says, it's a lot of hard work, a lot of sacrifice. You got to just take it easy. While you see your friends partying, going to have a good time, their parents are paying for this and that, you're not going to be that one. You're going to be the one that's going to have to work a little harder and push a little harder to get that. But it's going to be yours when you're mm-hmm. done. You're going to buy that. How, how, uh, how, how do your other kids feel about their, their brothers being in the military? Are they, are they going through similar experiences? They're very proud They're of them. Extremely proud of them. Yes. yes, they are very proud of them. Um, like I said, we have another. Hold them on a pedestal. Yeah, you know? they do. Because they're, they're mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. And, you know, it's interesting because one of my daughters, I think, would make a, oh, my gosh. If she was a, could be a drill sergeant, she'd be an excellent. You know, she may be little, but she's mighty. Uh, yeah. She got it. You know, she's right now working. She graduated with two associate degrees um, before high school. She's in civil engineering. She works full time. She's taking care of herself. She's got her own place. Like I said, all these kids, if you just put some of that, you know, philosophy back into your parenting, combine them, you got some mighty children. Mm-hmm. Out yes. There. Yeah. You can do it. Um, Obviously, yeah, we're I here know, for our kids. We, you know? we are here. We're not horrible. Yeah, like we're not, you're out on your own. No, you're on your own. <laughs> all our kids left on their own. Yeah. As soon as one of one of the youngest boys said, "Well, like I'm 18 now, I'm going to move out with my friends," and we're like, "Have a good luck." Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. I, we didn't yeah. try to talk him out of it. Let's put it that way. And no. uh, I figured, I figured either he was going to succeed or he was going to be back. And. Right. Uh, <laughs> and he succeeded. He's been gone ever since. It's, it was two years ago. Um, he's been doing great. Yeah. Awesome. Takes care of himself. And I mean, immediately when he moved out, we tur- turned his bedroom into a reptile room. So. Yep. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You guys yeah. have all the creepy bugs and lizards and stuff. Right? <laughs> like a, yes, I just, found out my, I just found out our bearded dragon is actually a girl. <laughs> I walked in there like, what is that? It's that <laughs> I'm out at the fire pit drinking some. I'm drinking some beer last night, and she walks out and goes, "What is this?" And it looks like a pebble, and uh, it ended up being a bearded dragon egg. And then she comes out with a bunch oh, of. Oh no! And I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> so yeah, that was interesting. That was a learning yeah. experience. Like Charlie, Charlie's not a Charlie; he's a Charlene. <laughs> so, so I, I named it Jezebel. Yeah, we named yeah, it Jezebel. A, there you go. Best name. <laughs> yep. So. Yeah, but going back with the boys, you know, and how we feel, honestly, very proud of them. Yes, we're we're some every parent's scared for their child. I mean, it doesn't really matter. I think if they're in the military or just civilian yeah. or anything. I mean, I get scared when I know my kids are driving like on the vacation to yes, and they take vacations. My children yeah, take they vacations. They actually go on vacations more often go, than we do. We do, <laughs> and we're not so. paying a dime for. They do it on their own. They go yeah. to Florida. We have one going to Colorado. She went on a cruise. Mm-hmm. And we got another went to New York. And it scares me to death just knowing that, oh, my gosh, they're headed and I hope they make it. I mean, yeah, yeah. It, it's just it, it's you're scared for your kid no matter what. It's just it's part of life. You know, we're parents, mm-hmm. military or not, you know, 
kids scare us. <laughs> I think that the military is going to be, um, you know, if they don't, they don't get to do exactly what they want while they're in the military. It's going to facilitate um, feelings later based on the experiences that they're having right now. Uh, it's, right. I think. Well, it's that, just like you now. Here, here you sit at, uh, at, you know, almost 50 years old and, and you're looking back just for the purposes of this podcast mm-hmm. and, and remembering all these amazing stories that happen. Your sons are going to come home with all these amazing stories. Exactly. They're going to look back on 50 years yeah. old. Yeah. And honestly, I, I think that's, that's the, uh, the, that's one of the um, strongest points about the military that I could, that if I was going to sell the military to somebody, mm-hmm. uh, is that, you know, if you're not doing it for, if you're not living your life for the story, what the hell are you doing it for? Yeah. And you're never going to get better stories than even if you spend just four years in the military. Right. You're going to get some amazing stories. You're going to make lifelong friends. You're going to, it's it's just it's an incredible experience and Those and experiences that I will I could never have anywhere else. You know? Yeah, and now you get to uh, to fast forward in your life and and watch your, your your kids have those same experiences. And yes, like Mara said, there's the fear is always there no matter what your kid is doing. But at least if they're doing it in the military, they're going to have great stories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I actually feel jealousy. Of- they're coming back also as a veteran they're going to come back with all the benefits of being a veteran yeah you know um to this day we're still reaping rewards from dane's veteran status you know even for me um it's something that sets them up for the rest of their life that's right (laughs) (laughs) i'm glad i'm glad they went i'm glad they're doing it i'm proud of them you know and I know they're making their mistakes and being silly out there doing whatever. Because obviously, from you guys' stories, I know, I'm not like I'm not blinded and like you know like what they're doing. I know they're having their parties. I always time. say most of the memories <laughs> that that stick yeah. uh, stem from bad choices. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh yeah, absolutely. All your great stories absolutely. are because you screwed up. <laughs> and made a bad choice. You make the right ones all the time. Life is boring, so. <laughs> Yeah. Well, guys, I have to I have to say thank you guys so much for being on here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been it's been a wonderful experience getting to know both of you. Uh, Dane, thank you for your service, man. Uh, awesome stories from the Air Force. Mara, thank you for everything that you do in the medical field and and being that that all important middleman that everyone kind of ignores. <laughs> process. Um, and and thank both of you for sharing your perspectives as parents of veterans. I mean that's. That's something that a lot of people don't get to hear about. Mm-hmm. It's what it's like to be the mother and father of a veteran. Uh, it, it, this has been an op- an awesome episode, and I'm, oh, I'm yeah. really happy you did it. And we're happy you guys uh, agreed to come on. Um, is there any final thing that either of you would like to say to the audience right now? Hail Satan. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that sums it up. Hey. Until next time, in two weeks' time, like I said in the introduction, we will be doing a total Sinister Scuttlebutt episode all about the war in Ukraine mm-hmm. with Russia. We're going we're gonna to break down what we know, what we don't know, um, and, and all the misinformation in between. We're going to do our best to get you the real story about what's happening in Ukraine. But for right now, I am Warlock Jeff Bowling. 
This has been uh, Dane and Mara and the Moon sharing amazing stories. And until we can talk about this again, hail Satan. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. Veteran Suicide Hotline. Phone number is 1-800-273-8255. 1-800-273-TALK. And as soon as you dial that, you press number one. Also, you can text to 838-255 for more information. But it is just as effective as chat. Support is free, confidential, and available 24-7. It is available to all servicemen and women, active and inactive, guard or reserve, and available to veterans, family members as well.